you have a Bible with you, open up to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, we'll be looking at this psalm of giving thanks today. And as you turn there, I thought I'd give you just a quick report of my trip to Uganda. So a couple of weeks ago, after we had our baptism service on a Sunday night, I was able to get on a plane and head out with my son, Nate. He's my 11-year-old son uh, to Uganda, and we had a fabulous time. And so uh, basically, we support some missionaries over there that are family. It's Shannon and Danielle Hurley, and Danielle is my wife's sister. And I've known Shannon for about, about 15 years or so. And they've been living in Uganda for 13 years. And they basically have a, um, have a ministry in the middle of the villages uh, in a rural area. So the village they serve in is called Kuba Matwe. It's about two and a half hours north of Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda. And when they moved to this particular area, there was nothing there other than a jungle. And so they built a house and then they built a church and then they built a school and then some other missionary houses and a few other buildings to help out with the ministry that's going on there. And so I went over for the launch of the Shepherd's Training Center, where they're going to be now training pastors locally. They've been doing it in a uh, modular way in various regions of the country, and now they'll be able to pastor, uh, counsel, uh, train, and uh, equip the pastors right there locally. And uh, it's, it's really a nationwide ministry. So it's just an unbelievable experience. Uh, when I first went to this particular area of Kuba Matwe about 10 years ago, we had to go through a road that was so dense with growth and brush, it would scrape both sides of the SUV on the way in. In fact, we'd have to stick it in four-wheel drive just to get there. And so now they've cleared that road. They've bought 180 acres. It's all been cleared with beautiful trees and grass. Feels like a big park, really. And there's buildings everywhere, all for the glory of God, for Legacy Christian Academy. It was fun for Nate to get to see that. He goes to Legacy Christian Academy here in Valencia. But uh, that school sponsors a school through Shannon and Danielle's ministry of SOS, Sufficiency of Scriptures, in Uganda. So Nate got to share his testimony with the fifth grade class. It was so fun just to walk him into school. There was about 350 students total in that school, K through fifth grade, and they all liked Nate's hair. They just thought his blonde hair was the coolest thing ever and his smile. So he walked in there and he just started, I just said, hey, Nate, why don't you just share your testimony? You just did that here at Placerita. Just give him your testimony. And so we took like 20 minutes because as he shared his testimony, he kept adding things here and here and then they would ask questions and then I would improvise a little bit. And it was just kind of neat to see Nate sharing the gospel with his uh, cohorts, you know, if you will, two schools, uh, thousands of miles apart, two worlds apart, and it was just a beautiful thing. I mean, as he's quoting John 3.16, I'm just like, man, that is so cool to get to see see it happen, you know? It's like, as a parent, you just got to be saying, hey, it's all glory to our great God, right? And so uh, on the way home from the trip, so, so basically, we had, we had a biblical counseling conference I helped out with. There's about 500 pastors and church leaders at that conference. Then that went right into the launch of the Shepherd's Training Center, the new seminary. There was 1,200 people at this event. So there's Ugandans from all over the country. There's Americans who've been involved as donors and givers in the SOS board. I mean, it's like larger than life. Uh, Conrad Mbewe came. He's from uh, Zambia, where he leads a church and a seminary. He's spoken at Shepherd's Conference many times, so he was there giving some good, solid gospel messages. Uh, We passed out cake. We cut ribbons. We did all kinds of stuff. It was just amazing, and so on the way home on the flight, we had a lot of time to talk uh, because we were on Ethiopian Airlines for 20 hours. You know, it's like a, like a two-and-a-half-hour flight from Uganda to Ethiopia, and then 10 hours to Dublin, Ireland. They didn't let us off the flight, 
and, and they refueled, and then 10 more hours to L.A. So uh, needless to say, I'm tired of Ethiopian Airlines, all right? Uh, it's on that plane too long. But Nate and I had all kind of conversations, and so I said, hey, Nate, what do you think, man? You've been telling your mom and I that you want to be a missionary. So I'm just curious, now that we've been in Uganda for a week, and you've kind of experienced first, you know, hand what it's like to live on the mission field, does that make you want to still do missions, or are you, like, done with that idea? And he's like, no, Dad, I still want to do it. I'm like, that's pretty cool, man. I'm like, do you want to come back and work with Uncle Shannon, like right there in Kubab and Tway? Could you see yourself doing that? He's like, no. I said, well, why not? If you still want to do missions, why not start here? And he's like, Dad, they already have a church there. I want to go plant a church somewhere where there is no church, where there is no gospel. And I was like convicted, like in that moment, right? And then he breaks out his business plan. He's like, Dad, if you have an in and out you don't build another in and out right next to it. You got to build it somewhere else so that you can bring burgers to other people who have not. And he's like, that's what I want to do with the gospel. I'm like, you go, boy. Look at you. So, I mean, who knows, right? He's only 11. You know, you never know what God's going to do with a young man or a young lady even. But I do know this. We need to be raising up young men and young women with a vision for the world. And I'm not here to say that's you know, we've accomplished that. It's just all God's grace, just constantly praying for the nations of the world, praying for missionaries. But I would say this, too many times as parents, it's all about you need to get a good education and a good job. And I probably said those same things to my kids, right? But I think that it's also about you need to follow the Lord wherever he takes you. And if that's doing ministry here in the States, that's awesome. If that's doing ministry around the world, that's awesome. Wherever you are, you're a minister for the gospel, whether you're a true quote-unquote missionary or pastor or you're just working as a teacher or a barista or a gymnastics teacher that's what my daughter wants to do teach gymnastics so whatever you're doing right the idea is you can do it all to the glory of God and so that's just kind of a quick report I would just say we're well vested in the ministry of Uganda I mean our money goes a long way in building churches and schools and uh, training pastors for the sake of the gospel and uh, training up people who can know God's word and teach it to others. So thank you for letting me go. Uh, thank you for letting me uh, be a part of that ministry. We're, we're involved as a church and we're that part of that ministry. And, um, and it's just an awesome trip. So there's, there's my two cents on what happened in Uganda. So for this morning, what we're going to be doing now is transitioning just right into Psalm 100. The title for the sermon today is A Psalm for Giving Thanks. I got a lot of reasons to be thankful, even coming back from Uganda. I was just naming a few things on the plane, you know, like I'm thankful that we have hot water, and I'm thankful we have Wi-Fi that works, and I'm thankful for microwaves, you know, and I'm thankful for a really soft, cushiony bed, and I'm thankful for air conditioning. You know, there's so many things we can be thankful for, but this psalm, Psalm 100, is going to help us move past some of those creature comforts that we think about, which we can be thankful for those. I am. I know you are as well, but this psalm goes deeper. It's a psalm for giving thanks. So let's look at it. I'll read it to you, to you, and then we'll dive right into our time together this morning. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. 
Father, we want to thank you for Psalm 100. We want to thank you that we can give thanks to you today as we reflect on this psalm and all the things that will be pointed out to us as we read through it here with this message this morning. And so God, open our hearts to reasons that we can truly give thanks. Help us to be thankful this week as we enter into this Thanksgiving season, God. So bless this time we have together, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, here's what I want you to do this morning as we think about this psalm, Psalm 100. By the way, it's the only psalm in the entire Psalter with the title, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. While there's lots of thanks in various psalms, even we read in Psalm 57 this morning, it said something about thanksgiving. But this is the only psalm that has it as its title. And I want you to think about that today as you would just kind of think about Psalm 100. Imagine if you were a Jew and you were living in Israel and you understood the Hebrew culture of coming to Jerusalem uh, about three times a year for one of those special feasts. And so the time for one of those annual feasts has come, and you're making your pilgrimage from the village where you live to Jerusalem to worship your God, Yahweh. And your ultimate destination is the temple. And your purpose is to worship. And your motivation is thanksgiving for all that God has done for you and all that he's done for your family and for your people. And when you leave home, you are focused and intent on lifting your heart to heaven and exalting the Most High God as your all in all. But the journey, that pilgrimage from your village in Israel to Jerusalem, it's a long journey. And the path is difficult. It's even torturous at places. The sun is hot the way is dusty and the road is hard. Your muscles are tired and the animal that you're bringing to the sacrifice is burdensome and the caravan that you're traveling with is noisy. You get the picture? You're heading into worship, but now you're starting to face it's a little bit difficult. I mean, you left home with holy intentions to worship, but now you're tired and you're thirsty and you're hungry and you're frustrated over your travel, and you begin to think, why did I leave home again to go through this? And you can't even answer that question because you've lost sight of the reason that you were heading to Jerusalem in the first place. And if you were at home, you could be relaxing, spending time with the family, enjoying your favorite hobby, maybe even doing a little extra work to make some money. And so you're tempted to go back but you've come this far, so you might as well press on. And as you continue, you finally come upon the holy city of Jerusalem. It's like you go over one of those mountaintops and you see there it is. And you hear a, a joyful, beautiful, harmonious noise. And as you reach the gates of the city, you see the source of this joyful sound. There are greeters there waiting for you, but they do not greet you with a handshake or a hug, but instead they greet you with a song. They lift up a song of rejoicing and praise to the God of heaven. And as the words of the song they're singing sinks in, then your frustrations vanish. Your doubts disappear. Your strength returns. Your heart begins to beat in your chest again with holy resolve. You regain your focus to worship God. You want to join in the holy chorus, right? You come to worship and make a joyful noise to the Lord. You begin to sing and dance before God with a heart filled with thanksgiving and with praise. 
Well, I believe that this very well could have been the experience of thousands of pilgrims during those journeys to Jerusalem. And I think this is the same experience we have to some degree every week when we come to this house of worship to exalt our great God. I mean, it could be easy for us to lose sight of why we're here and what's the real purpose of coming to church. It could be easy for us to be distracted by the burdens of our week and the exhaustion of our bodies and the beckoning call of leisure or entertainment. And as these pilgrims are making their way to Jerusalem, we need to take note that we as disciples of Christ need to come into the house of worship with the same heart and the same attitude. It's easy for us to to lose our way until we hear that call to worship. And that call to worship is what we're looking at today in this psalm, Psalm 100. Think of it as a call to worship and to give thanks to God. And it's as if the writer of the psalm is saying, if you want to know how to worship God and to give him thanks, then let me show you the way. The whole point of Psalm 100 is to remind you that it is your duty to give thanks to God. Do you get that? It's your duty to give thanks to him for who he is and what he has done for you. I would say that thanksgiving is a duty. And I would say that because it's an imperative in this text. It's a command. Thanksgiving is not about a day on the calendar or a set of circumstances or a particular mood that you are in or not in at any given time. You have a responsibility to give thanks to God for who he is and for his mighty works on your behalf. And that is why in this psalm we will see seven imperatives which are all calling you to give thanks on this day. So let's look this morning at these seven duties of giving thanks. Number one, shout joyfully to the Lord. You see it there in verse one, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. This phrase, make a joyful noise, literally means to shout. It it, it is an emphasis of making a loud and a joyful announcement of triumph. This is the homage and fanfare given to a king. This shout is one of loyalty ascribed by a subject to his sovereign. The psalmist is saying that it is time to fill the air with an eruption of praise. He's saying church worship shouldn't be like sitting in the doctor's office. I think that the quietest place in America today is in the doctor's office waiting room. While you're waiting to see the doctor or you're at the dentist or whatever, it's a quiet place where people are quietly scrolling on their phones and they're picking up magazines and you just whisper. Have you ever noticed that? You enter the doctor's office and you're like, okay, let's go sit down. You know, you just kind of sit down and you're quiet. This is the exact opposite of that, right? This isn't, this place of worship, according to this verse, it's like when you come into the house of the Lord, he doesn't say anything about sit quiet and still before the Lord. It does in other places in the Bible, but not here, right? Here he's saying, no, no, you make a joyful noise to the Lord when you come to worship him. You know, I'd say it's a sad thing to be in an all-white church. It's just a sad thing. I mean, I so enjoy being in Uganda last Sunday where we could sing and we could dance and we could, I mean, those brothers and sisters got rhythm. I'm talking about there's a whole new way they beat the drum over there. And I know that scares some people, but I'm just telling you in this church where the gospel is clearly preached 
and the Bible is clearly exalted as the word of God, it's a beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing to see how different cultures come together. And what I'm talking to you about today is something that transcends culture, though. I get it. Like, we're white, and we're a little bit more stoic. I say we. A majority of us in this church might be that way. I appreciate different ethnicities. I love the fact that, that uh, heaven is represented by men of every color and every creed and every culture. But you get what I say, I'm saying. Sometimes in America, at least in this church, I feel like we're too stiff. Come on, who's agreeing with me? You're like, Tyson, just come on off, man. Just come on off. All right, good. Who's like, no, I want it to be more stiff. You're in here and you're like, I want more stiffness in this church. Please, all right, okay. Well, there's nobody like, so what I'm saying is just simply, there's something we could learn from various cultures and expression of worship. And if you think that I'm off here, just be reminded by Jesus coming into Jerusalem himself on Palm Sunday. They're waving branches in the air and they're taking off their cloaks and laying it down for the donkey to come in. And people were like, shh, you're being a little too loud. And what did Jesus say? He answered, Luke 19, 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In other words, Jesus is like, bring it on, man. Like, shout to the Lord, right? And so why is it that we have no problem shouting at a ball game or erupting in applause in a movie theater or responding with glee at the sound of good news, but we sit in church all stoic and stiff. I mean, what is that? Well, according to this verse, we ought to be making a joyful noise to the Lord. Or turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 95. Come on, you can do it. Just five psalms over. Go to your left. Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Look at Psalm 98, Psalm 98, verse 4. Psalm 98, verse 4 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. I love that. It's like break forth. You know, we've talked about Lazarus, come forth. This is like break forth. This is where break dancing started, right? You just break it out and you sing unto your God. I mean, this joyful sound is commanded here in Psalm 100. Notice it doesn't say, if you're Hebrew, shout out, but if you're a Gentile, stay quiet, right? The idea is that anyone in earshot of this psalm should receive this command, this imperative, the joyful sound that is commanded here can be ordered by God because it is not based on how you feel, but on how you should respond to the king, Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is based on what happens. Happiness is a thing-centered, people-centered, event-centered emotion. Happiness can be fickle and faint. I still think happiness can be redeemed, and we can have all that expression, but I'm just saying that's not the goal. The goal is biblical joy. Joy comes in the morning every day in the Christian's life because of the steadfastness of our great God. Joy, real joy, is not thing-centered, people-centered, or event-centered, but the joy I'm talking about in the Bible is God-centered, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-centered. That's why we can have joy no matter what you're going through, because no matter what shifts or changes in your life, God's nature and his character and his promises remain the same. God's glory and his worth are unmoved by anything that happens on this world. He is not affected by the election or by the weather or by what's happening in the score of your game, right? God's saying, I am God, 
And I will be exalted, and I'm inviting you in to come and worship me because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no shifting shadow hiding the Most High. He is above all, and He can be seen through all, and He is exalted in all. He is in charge. His character is unchanging. He cares for you, and He loves you, and He's Almighty God, and He's saying, come on in. And make a joyful noise to him. I mean, in worship, the creature comes before his creator. The finite comes before the infinite. The weak comes before the omnipotent. The foolish comes before the all-wise. The sinner comes before the holy. Worship is serious business. There is nothing trivial or trite about worshiping God. He is triumphant, he is victorious, and he is the all-conquering king. Notice as well that in still in this first verse, this is a call for all the nations of the earth to participate in. He says there at the end of the verse, all the earth. Again, he's not just talking about Israel, but all the earth. People out of every culture, out of every background, In the Bible, pagans are told to drop their worship of dead idols and come to the Lord of all the earth. There is a mission emphasis in this psalm to call people all over the world out of darkness and out of mysticism and out of legalism to worship freely and joyfully to our great God. I would say there's a lot of Christians that think it is important that we worship, but that it doesn't matter how we worship. But God cares how we worship, and this psalm is showing us how it's to be done. You know, we talk about worship wars and what preferences you like, this style, that style. Just come to the Bible and shout. Shout. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. That's what this psalmist is imploring us to do. We want to worship God in the way that God has prescribed to us, and how we worship God matters. The next duty of giving thanks that we see here, number two, is to serve the Lord with gladness. Look at verse two, serve the Lord with gladness. Remember, we're looking at seven imperatives this morning concerning our worship, and we're called to make a joyful noise, and we're also called to serve the Lord with gladness. This word serve could also be translated as worship. It's the same word used in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, that we're to serve or worship the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. Uh, To worship is to ascribe worth or value to. To serve means that you understand God's worth and his value, and so your response to that is to fear him and obey him and love him and serve him with all that you are. This is worship. It is more than singing. It is a lifestyle. It's Romans 12, 1, when Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To worship, to serve. I'm saying those are interchangeable words in the Old Testament. To serve the Lord is to worship the Lord. And God expects you to be an active participant in worship. Worship is not a spectator sport. You do know, don't you, that just because you may sit through a worship service does not mean that you actually took part in worship. If your mind is not focused and your heart is not engaged, 
And if the song sung and the word preached falls on deaf ears, then you have not properly worshipped. And this could easily happen to any of us on any given Sunday. You sit here through a worship service, and later somebody asks you, well, how was worship this morning? And if you're not careful, you start to talk about how the preacher did, how the worship leader did, how the choir or ensemble or special music did, and you start talking about peripheral things. When somebody says, how was worship this morning, you shouldn't be thinking about a style or a sermon necessarily in and of itself. You should be thinking about the Word of God. You should be thinking about the truths of Scripture. You should be thinking about how your heart was challenged and encouraged. And you should come back from worship and say, you know what? Worship was awesome because Christ was exalted. God was praised. And there was movement in my heart as I read the Word and had the Word read to me. Worship is not about you describing other people. I mean, this psalm is all about the fact that you need to worship. You worship, you serve, you make a joyful noise. Nobody can do that for you. You have to worship for yourself. That's why when I get in here, I like to close my eyes and lift my hands to heaven because I'm fighting to be in the presence of God. And what I mean by that is I'm distracted by the world. I'm thinking about the Rams. I'm thinking about whatever happened yesterday in college football. I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about what we're doing this afternoon. And I'm like, no, 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 no. None of that matters right now. I mean, it never matters, right? But it especially doesn't matter right now. I'm here for God. I'm here to exalt him. And so I've got to push everything out of the way and just get to where he is. Now, there's freedom in coming to where he is. It's not like I really have to fight. He's paved the way through Christ, and we have access into, into uh, his presence. And so, but we ought to take advantage of that privilege, right? God cares about how we worship and that he wants us to worship him joyfully and gladly and willingly. God does not want us to come to worship grudgingly. Like, oh no, it's Sunday again. I got to go to church. Oh no, there's a quipping hour. I got to go to church and to be a good Christian, I should go to a quipping hour. Oh no, it's turkeys, tarts, and testimonies. I got to come back tonight. Three, three services today for some of us. You know, if we're not careful, we start to get grudging. Like, oh man, it's just ruined my whole day. Look, if that's you this morning, then you don't know the God of the Bible. You don't. You think it's more important to be at the beach right now or to be watching NFL right now? I have my recorder set. But if you think it's more important to be doing that right now, then go and do it, right? I mean, we, we want, what we want, what God wants is worshipers, those who come and count it as a privilege, as in an awesome opportunity that we think because of the gospel, because I've been changed, because I've been saved, I'm filled with gladness, and I'm coming for him. I'm not coming for me, ultimately. You know what I mean by that? It's like I'm not coming because I feel like it or I don't feel like it. I'm coming because I've been saved, and I want to respond to my great God, all that he's done for me. And you know how it is. Once you get here, you're so glad you came. You're like, praise God. I almost missed it. And then I showed up. And by God's grace, he, he, he encouraged me through the songs. And he encouraged me through the, through the preaching of the word and through the people I talked to. I mean, this psalm is really saying we ought to want to be here. I mean, I want to be here at this worship service. And who, I'd rather be here than anywhere else. Right? I, I want people to be here who are desperate for God. I want people who are here who want to come into his courts with gladness and come into his presence with praise. We ought to be shouting for joy. I mean, we ought to be thinking, you couldn't keep me away this morning. Like, I would walk 100 miles to worship with God's people. Like, I saw people walking out of the villages for miles and miles and miles to come worship last Sunday. I mean, miles and miles. It's amazing. 
Right? And that ought to be the heart that we have. We're coming to praise our Savior who rent the heavens and came down. I'm coming to worship Him. And so we're looking at these duties of thanksgiving. We, we need to be shouting joyfully to the Lord, according to Scripture. Okay, we need to be serving the Lord with gladness, according to Psalm 100. And number three, we need to come into His presence with singing. Look at the second half of verse 2. It says it pretty plainly, come into His presence with singing. This command is given in this verse that we are to come. And we are to come can mean to bring yourself, it can mean to approach, it can mean to enter, to arrive. How do you enter the presence of the Lord? How do you arrive at church? How do you approach God? Well, God invites you to worship Him, and God wants your presence. He delights in your fellowship. He's glorified in your communion with Him, and that's the privilege of worship. Sinners that we are, rebels that we have been, God loves you anyway. And through Christ, he's made you new. And now he invites you to be in his house. He invites you to worship. And we are undeserving and we are unworthy and we have nothing to offer but praise. But he invites us in, to, into his house. I mean, most of us will never get an invitation to the White House to meet the president and the Oval Office. Most of us will never have tea with the Queen of England. Most of us will never be in a situation like that. Okay, all of us will never be in a situation like that. But you have an opportunity to meet with God. Like, I'd rather meet with God than Donald Trump any day, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, it's like you have the awesome opportunity to come into his presence and to be with him. And maybe that's why the psalmist is saying, I was glad. Just the invitation itself to come into God's presence ought to lift our spirits today. This ought to make us rejoice. The second part of verse 2, God is saying, I want you to come but when you come, I want you to come in a certain way. It's almost as if he's saying, I've required one thing of you. I want you to come into my presence. In what way? With singing. Again, remember, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. This is a divine invitation and a divine command. Come into his presence. How? With singing. And you ought not rush into God's presence with questions or complaints or requests. He says in this verse, you ought to come into my presence with joy and with gladness and with songs of praise. Now, I know what you're thinking. What if I can't sing? What if I don't enjoy singing? What if it's just not my thing? What if I don't sound good? Amen. Right? <laughs> And some of you don't sound good, just to be honest with you, right? There are some of us that are tone deaf, and I get off key sometimes, and my wife might be like, honey, tone it down a little bit. You know, you are not, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman, so just save it for the house, but you can't do that here, right? I mean, she doesn't do that, but you get what I'm saying. We all have this idea of sometimes it's about our singing, and if that's what you're kind of wrestling with, then here's the problem. You're too focused on yourself, and you're too focused on what you desire, and you're too focused on what you sound like, and you're too worried about what makes you feel comfortable instead of fulfilling your God-given duty in this psalm, which is that you come with singing. You know what I think? I think that people who are happy sing even when they can't sing. I think people that are filled with joy make a joyful noise spontaneously to the Lord. I think those of us who have been moved move our lips to obey the Lord's bidding that we come into his presence with singing. The point is not how good of a singer are you, but how good of a God is he. 
It's, it's just all through the Bible. You say, well, I don't, I don't know, man. Sing, I'm still not a singer. Well, listen, Psalm 95, 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. It's Ephesians 5, 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I mean, you, you can't be a Christian and say, well, I'm not into praying. I'm not into giving. I'm not into evangelizing. One of the spiritual disciplines that God has called us to is singing. And it's not about you. It's about him. Sing to him a new song. Enter into his courts with praise. Tell him that you love him through song. Join the heavenly chorus. Sing to him an anthem of praise. A fourth duty of giving thanks that's specified in this psalm is number four, know that the Lord is God. Know that the Lord is God. Verse three, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This fourth command here is to know. It's more than being joyful. It's more than being glad. It's more than singing. True worship and thanksgiving is all those things, but it's also about knowing. To worship is to ascribe worth. And the idea of ascribing worth here is that how in the world can you ascribe worth to a being that you don't know? The psalmist is saying that if you are going to worship God rightly, then you need to know him fully. This is not just an intellectual knowledge. This is the kind of knowledge that changes you. This is the kind of knowledge that leads you to wisdom. This is a knowledge that gives you discernment. This is a knowledge that can only be revealed to you by the omnipotence of our God. We are to know that Yahweh is a covenant-making God who never breaks his promises. He has a steadfast love for his own which never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. I mean, this is the God that we need to know. The word for God here in this verse, Elohim, emphasizes that God is the ultimate ruler and judge. This reveals his majesty and his divine power. He has the whole world in his hands. He is the one and only true and living God. Do you know him this morning? And he says in Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Do you know him today? Because it is only those who know this God who are able to come into his presence with rejoicing and singing like this. Your next blank there says, that he made us so we are his. We need to know that. That's part of what we know about him. We know about the fact he's creator. He made us. We did not make him. God is creator. He made us and we are his. He created us. We wouldn't be alive apart from him. He is God and we are not. And he created us in his image. He created us for relationship with him. He created us to have fellowship with him. He created us to glorify him. He made us. We did not evolve. And this is our culture's problem. It's they punted the idea of creationism because if we can just talk about how we all came out of the Big Bang, then we don't have a God to answer to or to worship. 
And so it's accepted now as common fact that evolution is true. Listen, it ain't true. It's not true, right? I mean, I was just on a safari. On the last day we were in Uganda, we went on a safari, and we saw some monkeys. And they are stinkers, all of them. And they're nasty. And you didn't come from them. Thank God, right? God created you in his image for his glory. He made us to know him and to love him and to submit to him and to bring glory to him. But fallen man does not want to acknowledge that we are his. Fallen man doesn't like the thought of a creator because it means he has authority over us and we have to answer to him and give an account to him. And we're so determined to be our own God that we would rather believe in the lie of evolution than in the truth of the Bible. And in many ways, we could say there's only one difficult verse in the whole Bible, and it's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the only difficult verse in the Bible. You say, well, what do you mean about that? Well, if you can believe that by grace, through him revealing himself to you through his word, then you can believe the rest of the Bible. If God created you, see, creation is connected with the cross. And if you deny creation, then you're really denying the cross the way God intended for you to see the connection throughout the whole Bible. I mean, in the beginning, God did what he did or he didn't. And if he did what he did, then he created humankind to be worshipers. And he already had set in motion a plan of redemption. And it was already pointing to Jesus Christ, his son. And if you can believe Genesis 1, 1 is true, then it's all true. So yes, I can believe that a big fish swallowed up a man and kept him in his belly for three days. And yes, I can believe that the sun stood still so that Joshua could finish defeating the Amorites. And yes, I can believe that God shut the mouths of lions, preventing them from eating Daniel. And can I tell you why I believe it? Because if God created it all, then he controls it all. Do you get that? If he created it, he controls it. So it's not hard to believe in miracles. He created that big fish, and he created those lions, and he created the sun, so he can stop any of it and move things around however he wants, like we see in the Bible, right? God created it all. He controls it all. He controls the seas, and he controls the winds, and he controls the events on the world stage, and before you forget, he controls you and every detail of your day and every trial that you're going through. He controls it all, and I'm saying that's good news, because we belong to a mighty God. He made us and we are his. Your next blank says we are his people and his sheep. I mean, God takes care of what he created. And how does he take care of his own? By reminding us that we're his sheep, his people. This reminds us that God is the great shepherd and we are his sheep. We are in this world and we are in this world to, to have relationship with God. And part of that description of the relationship is he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. And sheep cannot feed themselves. And sheep cannot properly care for themselves. And sheep cannot adequately uh, protect themselves. Sheep need a shepherd and we have a good shepherd in Jesus. It's John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It was King David who in Psalm 23 said, the Lord is my shepherd, meaning that I know what he's done for me. He's my shepherd 
And because he's my shepherd, I shall not want everything I need. My shepherd provides, and when I get hungry, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And when I get thirsty, he leads me beside still waters. And when I stray away, he restores my soul. And when I don't know which way to go, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And when I am in the dark valley, I will fear no evil because my shepherd is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And no matter what you are going through, you can count it all joy when you see the goodness and the greatness of God. He created it. He owns you. He's your shepherd. Are you thankful for him who knows you by name? Have you acknowledged that he is your God? Have you called him Lord? A fifth imperative we see in Psalm 100 is that we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving. The idea behind the first part of verse 4 is that you are to come before God with a sacrifice. The word for thanksgiving in the Hebrew could be translated as a thanks offering. So when you think thanksgiving, you should be thinking also thanks offering. Like, I want to express thanks to God by offering part of who I am and what I have that he's given me back to him. Thanksgiving is not just what you say with your lips, but it's part of what you do with your body and with your generosity of returning to him what already belongs to him, but you being part of that coming with the thanks offering. So in this verse, you're coming with something in your hands. It's Psalm 66, 13. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. It's Psalm 116, verse 17. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I think one of the best ways to picture that in our mind is we come with our tithes and offerings. When we come to church, or whether you use your app with push pay, you're just thinking, you know, I'm coming to show the Lord I love him. I don't owe him any money in the sense of I have to pay to be a part of this church, but he owns all my money. So I'm just going to go ahead and give back to him what he's already given to me because it shows, it's just one way that I can show I'm truly thankful, right? The price of admission is free based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. But the idea here is that if God gave up his son as a sacrifice, what sacrifice of thanksgiving can we bring that would show God that we love him? In one sense, he wants nothing but our hearts and our obedience, but in another sense, he is magnified by the sacrifices that we make. And as the writer commands us to be thankful, he orders us to approach God with grateful praise. Pilgrims are to enter the gates of the city of Jerusalem and the courts of the temple. And here in verse 4, we to enter his courts his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It reminds me where we get that song that I sung as a kid. Maybe you sang it too. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. It's all out of this psalm. Unfortunately, far too often, this is not how we enter church. Too often, this is not how we enter into worship. You know how we are prone sometimes to enter into worship? We come into worship exhausted because we were up too late last night. And we come into worship frustrated about what's going on at work and what's going on at school and whatever's going on with my car. We come in mad at each other 
In fact, we might have had an argument on the way to church in the same car because one of the family members didn't get into the car on time. And one of the family members didn't already start preparing lunch. And one of the family members is whining and complaining about why they have to wear that to church on any given day. And that's why I come into church early, by myself. <laughs> so I can pray and get ready to preach to you heathens who show up in this place arguing in your car. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's tough though, right? It's tough. We, we get so distracted. I'm thankful for my wife who serves our family that way, in all honesty, so I can come in early and pray and meditate and think and just lay myself before the Lord to hopefully be his mouthpiece to you. But you know how it can be when you're all coming in and you've had a difficult morning and you come in with a scowl on your face and you cross your arms and it's like, I just dare you to talk to me right now. <laughs> Some of you are like that. I just dare you. Come on over here. I'm just going to look down, right? I mean, it's the idea of like, look, we, we need to be here to love Christ, but also to be joyful. And, to, and, and, and it's not that things should get us in and out of the mood, it's that God should get us into the mood. And maybe the reason you don't enter into his gates with thanksgiving and you don't enter his courts with praise is you don't want to be in his presence. Maybe you're chasing or cherishing some sin in your life. And frankly speaking, this morning, maybe you adore that sin more than you adore God. And so the reason I can't come in joyful is I'm guilty, and I'm addicted to my sin, and the lust of my heart have made idols out of my desires, and I don't really want to be in God's presence. I want to be chasing my sin. Well, look, we have a solution for that here. His name is Jesus. He's more beautiful He's more loving. He's a better master than anybody, anything you could ever find or want in this world. And so come to him today. If that's you today, then we're saying, great, I'm glad you're here. So confess your sin before the Lord, and he will cleanse you and make you white as snow. Ask the Lord to move in your heart today to give you this kind of joy and gladness that the psalmist is talking about. I mean, have you been robbed of your joy today? You might have been robbed by your own sin. And as you confess that before the Lord and he washes that out of your life, then you can have true joy, true gladness. And so I'm just calling you to come. Come to Christ today. Come out of the darkness. Come into light. Repent and return to the presence of the Lord. Psalm 122.1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be here today? Are you glad to enter his courts with praise? I'd rather be rejoicing in Jesus than doing anything this world has to offer. The next imperative we see in verse four is really what this whole psalm is about. Number, number what are we on? Six, give thanks to him. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. When you enter the presence of the Lord, be filled with gratitude. It's, it's the, the idea of giving thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. The word for giving thanks here is a word that means to confess or to praise. So thank the Lord and bless the Lord is, is showing him that you know it's him who's taking care of you and you know who gives you life and breath and all things. Spurgeon said of this verse, that basically in all of our public service, the rendering of thanks must abound. It is the incense of the temple which filled the whole house with smoke. 
expiratory sacrifices are ended, but those of gratitude will never be out of date. You know what he's saying? Look, there's no more temple and incense. Jesus has already done what he did on the cross, and he's been raised from the dead, but thanksgiving never stops. You keep giving thanks, and so I want to challenge you this week, particularly if you're the head of your household, that you make sure you take that time on this Thursday to give thanks to God. And you give thanks to him for your family and for the food that you have and for the shelter that you live in. Let me encourage you dads to step up and you might have to ask your wife, like, honey, put the pumpkin pie down for a moment. Kids, stop running around like pilgrims and Indians. Come in here. We're going to sit down and we're going to dig deep and we're going to let every person share what they're thankful for. It's not something that we rush through. We want to adore Christ and magnify him by thanking him appropriately, both publicly and privately, for who he is and what he's given to you and your family and your friends and this church and whatever it is that you're thankful for. This is what Thanksgiving is all about. It's simple, right? Worship and Thanksgiving in this psalm is not sophisticated, and worship in this psalm is not done silently. It doesn't have to have anything to do with your education, your personality, or your preferences. It's simple. Thanksgiving is so simple. It's kind of like what my mom taught me growing up in the South. My mom taught me that if somebody does something nice for you, the least you can do is say thank you. And that's all we're doing this week. And for the rest of our lives, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for my life. Thank you for how you blessed me time and time again. One final exhortation this morning Number seven, bless his name. The end of verse four, bless his name. Verse five as well, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. When it says bless the Lord, that word in the original, the word bless means to kneel down. And these two phrases together of blessing the Lord and giving thanks just show ultimate gratitude. It's like you're kneeling before a king and you're just saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I bless your name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. You're on your knees, and you're before the Lord, and you're just thanking him and blessing his name. And why are you blessing him? Because he is good, your next blank, and because he is loving, the blank after that, and because he's faithful. All there in verse 5, the Lord is good, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, and he is faithful to all generations. Did you hear what the psalmist said? You should not come into worship and then decide whether you're going to enter in or not. You ought to enter into the Lord's house with thanksgiving and praise. You do not need a worship leader or an ensemble or a soloist or a handbell special to get you in the mood. You don't even need a preacher or an elder, or a testimony, or a favorite song to get you to that place in your heart. You don't need an organ, or a piano, or a praise chorus called Shine On Me. Right, you just need to come and focus on Jesus. You may say, well, pastor, that's easy for you to say, but you don't know what kind of week I've had. You don't know my hurt, and you don't know my pain, and you don't know what I'm facing. And with the burden that I am carrying, how can I come in praising and worshiping God? And I would say then, there must be something wrong with you. Because there's nothing wrong with God. And there's nothing wrong with this psalm. 
And of course my heart goes out to you. I get it. Sometimes we come in and it's been a really hard week. Maybe there's been tragedy. Maybe you had a bad diagnosis. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe, maybe what, you flunked a class at school, whatever. I mean, I understand it could be very difficult, but those things should not tarnish our worship because our worship's not about that. And our thanksgiving to God is the same whether we get good news or bad news. We could still be thankful because God is good and his plans for us are good and his purpose are good and his providence is good. And all that God has done or ever will do is good. And so have you experience the goodness of the Lord today? Can you give thanks to him for he is good? Can you give thanks to him because of his loving kindness? He's loving, and that's that loving kindness, that word is that word about, you know, it's called hesed in the original. It's, it's uh, translated as loving kindness. It's translated as unfailing love. It's translated as mercy. The various versions don't know how to translate the word. It's such a wonderful, glorious, incomprehensible word. That he's, that he's got this steadfast love for you. And he's faithful to all generations. What a great God that we can bless his name for all those reasons and so many more. An African-American pastor told a story about a woman in his church. And every week she prayed the same prayer. Oh Lord, thank you Jesus. And every week that was her prayer. Oh Lord, Thank you, Jesus. The kids at the church used to laugh because they knew every time she was going to pray, every time she would say, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And so finally, somebody asked her, why do you pray the same little prayer? She said, well, I'm just combining the two prayers that I know. She went on. We live in a bad neighborhood, and some nights there are bullets flying, so I have to grab my daughter and hide on the floor, and in that desperate state, all I know how to do is cry out, Oh, Lord! But when I wake up in the morning and see that we're okay, I can say, Thank you, Jesus! When I got to take my baby to the bus stop, and she gets on that bus, and I don't know what's going to happen to her while she's away, I cry out, oh, Lord. And then when 3 p.m. comes, and that bus arrives, and my baby is safe, I say, thank you, Jesus. She said, those are the only two prayers I know. And so when I get to church, God has been so good. I just put my two prayers together, and I say, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. What a simple reminder of what it's all about. You may be here today and you're throwing up and, oh Lord, what now? Oh Lord, I need you in this hour. I'm desperate for you. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm facing great difficulty. Oh Lord. And then as you see him move and as you're reminded of his character and as you come back again to Psalm 100, hopefully you can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for me. And so let me just ask you these questions real quick. Are you worshiping and serving the Lord with joy and gladness? Have you entered into the presence of God with acceptable and authentic praise? And does gratitude and thanksgiving abound in your worship? I hope that this week you'll think a lot about Psalm 100. And as you go through the difficulties and the blessings that you face in life, I pray that you would say a lot of times what that lady said at that church, oh Lord, and thank you, Jesus. Let's pray to him now. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at Psalm 100. 
a familiar psalm, one that's read often this time of year. So thank you for the opportunity to dig a little deeper and to realize that this prayer is for every pilgrim, every disciple, every Christian, every person that would come before the presence of God being made new in Christ, that we could worship like this, that we could give thanksgiving like this, that we could serve like this. So do a special work of grace in our hearts this week. God, help us to take the time to dig deep, to say, oh Lord, thank you, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.